I'm a god. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? I'm a god. There wasn't one today. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of It's Time to Rewind, a podcast stuck in its own time loop right along with the movies we discuss. And this season, we've been looking at taking a look at Groundhog Day after day after day after day. I'm your host, Bubba Weed from Flights, Tights, and Movie Nights. And in this episode, we're doing a recap of this season. It's It's been so fun. I didn't want it to end just yet. Also, I've been taking notes like a crazy person on a big spreadsheet, but I'm not just going to sit here and spew facts on the air. I figured I needed somebody to bounce these stats off of. And one of the first people that I thought of to join me was Jay Cluett, but he was on just a couple episodes ago. The second person was Dylan. So how's that for an intro for you? Uh, it's very flattering. Uh, any anytime you're in the same conversation as Jake Cluett, you, you're in good shape, unless it's uh, opinions about the rankings of the Jurassic Park films. <laughs> yes, but you know, I've I've touched on my spreadsheet here here and there on on this show before, but I have been tracking a lot of different things and. This is also the first time that I actually sat down and watched the film from beginning to end uh, since I started doing this. Uh, For all the other episodes, I just watched that day over and over again, you know, anywhere between like three times to like over 20 times for some of the really short loops. So it's been interesting to actually see it start to finish again. And I I know you mentioned you didn't get a chance to rewatch it um, recently. But what do you remember the last time you watched it? I don't know off the top of my head. Funny you mentioned spreadsheets. I keep <laughs> spreadsheets of all the movies I've seen. I could look it up, but I, I do not have that prepared. It's probably been, oh, I don't know, a year, maybe a little more. Not, nothing crazy. It hasn't been that long. And it's a, it's a movie that's near and dear, and I've seen it plenty of times. Do you remember like the whenever you first saw it or like your... No. not at all so it came out in what 93 yeah 93 i'm pretty sure i didn't see it in the theater i mean i was of an age where i certainly could have it would have been the type of movie i might have seen but it also you know 16 17 maybe that's looking a little old but it's probably something i rented when it came out quickly thereafter uh but i don't have a lot of like memories of first viewings or anything like that yeah, I actually don't think I've really talked about the first time I watched it, but I'm just like you, you know, I'm I'm just a few years younger than you. I would have been 13 whenever the movie came out. So I, there's a good chance that I saw this in theaters, but I don't remember the theatrical experience. This <laughs> is just, again, one of those movies that, that I've just always known. I mean, you're 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 up on this movie, having done an entire season of podcast on it. How much money did it make? Was it how I, I want to say it made in the like forty to sixty million dollar range Actually, for the I, era? That's one of the things that I didn't <laughs> I didn't actually ever talk about. I've for the the show I've been focused on like mostly all the minutia of what you see on screen. <laughs> the I the bigger picture has been lost. It made <laughs> yeah. 70, 70 million upon its original release. So it, it, for the for the era, that was pretty damn successful, especially for a 
romantic comedy, high concept romantic comedy. Yeah, and you know, just just to start off with a few quick facts and figures that I double checked on this last rewatch. There, this movie has two car chases, ten slaps, and six deaths. On screen, at least, right? Yeah. Not to mention probably uh, tens of thousands of off-screen deaths. How many of the slaps are are like in succession? I feel like there's a, a montage or quick clip of like five or six of them in a row. Yeah, there's there's one slap early on where Phil thinks he's having deja vu, and then there's one slap during the first time the date goes back goes bad, and then there's eight slaps in the montage. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, you mentioned that you had rewatched it and picked up on several things, and it's, it's a testament to the film that you can watch it over and over and over and over again and still pick up on things. Yeah, surprisingly, most of the... There were two specific details that I noticed this time that I did not notice in doing this season. And the first one is at the very beginning, whenever Phil is first looking at Rita, whenever she's playing with the blue screen, he has just, he cracks like just the tiniest hint of a smile. Like you just see the corner of his mouth just perk up like just a millimeter, like just enough to show, like, especially if you're watching this in the theater on a big screen, like that's there is something there. And then he plays it off whenever he's talking to Kenny. He's like, no, she's not my kind of fun. I was going to say, do you, do you think that's really Phil trying to hide something that is there? Or is that Bill Murray trying to hide something that wasn't supposed to be there just because it was genuinely amusing? It's tough to say, but <laughs> I, you know, I like to think that it, it was Phil just, just because, and, and I've gone back and forth I've I've actually mostly come to the conclusion that that's not the first time that Phil sees Rita. I've I've I've, I've developed a theory that Rita actually has been working at the station for a while, and Phil noticed her, but they've never actually worked directly together until this movie. So you've written an entire backstory to the film. You're ready for the prequel, is what I'm hearing. Yes, where Rita's a, a production intern or something like that, and and Phil demands coffee from her or something like that. Yeah, and now she's worked her way up to the producer for the the actual news. Um, what was the other thing you noticed? The other thing I noticed was whenever Phil and Rita are at the diner for the first time, and Rita says these sticky buns are amazing, and then. Doris, the waitress, she's looking directly at Phil and she's like, yes, they are, aren't they? Which that's, you know, clues that she, that Doris has the hots for Phil just right then, which shows up later whenever she gets in the bidding war for Phil yeah, at the bachelor that's, auction. That's a, that's a good one. That's a, that's a good catch. Yeah, it's, of which I, of which I have nothing to add to, but it's a good catch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you know, getting back to this spreadsheet and, you know, I, like I said, it's like a crazy person and I shared it with you and you took a look at it and you're like, I have no idea what I'm looking at, but I've, I've been asking everybody on this show three questions, but two of them I kept track of on this spreadsheet. So the first question that I asked, 
was how long that they thought that Phil has been stuck in Groundhog Day. And the second question, I didn't actually ask everybody, but I asked everybody that was appropriate to ask how long they thought that Phil was stuck in Groundhog Day at that point in the movie that we were at. Right. Which it doesn't make sense to ask, you know, early in the beginning, and it doesn't make sense to ask at the very end. Right. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny because I don't know about you, but the first time, first few times you watch this movie... Or maybe just until the point where someone came up with the theory, which is out there on the internet. Who knows who came up with it first? You might. Um, I was not one of these people who ever considered that he was there for uh, 10,000 years or 1,000 <laughs> years or that he really was a god at, at certain points in this movie. You know, the first time you watch it, you probably just think he's there for like 20 or 30 days, right? Maybe maybe a couple months, you don't really put into the thought that, oh, wow, he, how long did it actually take him to master the piano, to master ice sculpting, to master all of these things, to master the synchronization of a day? Mm. And how many attempts did it take to get it just right, you know, to make it, you know, it's one thing to make it an hour through the day, but he has to make it like, what, 16 hours through a day, basically, for it to be the perfect day. I think there's basically like three main days that phil would have had to have prepared ahead of time in order to try and make perfect the first one is early on it's on day six and that's the armored car robbery and heidi to say the bank heist right yeah yeah so it would have taken a lot longer than six days to have come up with that Right. I, I mean, he's got it down to the minute or to the second, a gust of wind, five, six, seven, et cetera, et cetera. So, but when you're, fir- when you're watching it for the first time, you're not imagining, oh, wow, it took this guy months to prepare just for this one day. Now, I guess the, ca- so a couple things. One, I don't know how long it is. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's go with, I like, I like, I, I don't think I like the 10,000 years or a thousand years. I don't think it would really take that long to do these things. But my counter to that, even before I give kind of a final answer is it could be intercutting a lot of this stuff. You know, they, they play a lot of the movie out for like sketches, right? Mm-hmm. So we have days that are shown in sequence and we have days that are kind of intercut where there's just like seconds of a day shown. And you covered some of this on the show, but it's like, when we see just a rapid montage of the same 10 or 20 second segment of a day, are we to, are we to interpret that that's the only meaningful thing from that day and just tally that on your, on your list of days, or is that uh, connected to another piece of a day we see elsewhere in the movie? That makes sense. That's yeah. That's actually something that I haven't really thought of or, or discussed on this show that, but there is, and there's one sequence in particular, and I pointed it out on the episode that I recorded for it. But during the, the piano training montage, you see him slowly getting better at piano. And yeah. then right smack dab in the middle of that, he's mastered an ice sculpture. And that just comes out of nowhere. And that's that's like on, on my spreadsheet. That's that's where I gave up. <laughs> like I, I've was keeping track of every single day it's like okay this because it's it feels like it's uh like you're seeing it 
sequentially through the course right. of time. And that's what I think a lot of people interpret when they come up with these outlandish year things. It just doesn't seem logical to me. Yeah, but I like that one just that that's the one thing that just completely throws me off because you see him start learning piano and then you see him have already mastered ice sculpture and then you see him a little bit better at, at piano. Yeah, yeah. So a uh, short story long, I don't know, 100 years, 20 years, something in that range in the in the in in the years, but not the crazy amount of years. That, that would be my guess. Yeah. So for everybody that I've talked to, the shortest length of time was Heather, who guessed like 10 to 12 months. Yeah, that seems that seems a little a little too low. A little, and, lo- uh, it seems a lot too low. <laughs> yeah, and then the longest ones are Sean and Jay, who both said, you know, ten thousand years or thousands of years. Right. Uh, yeah. Which Sean is more on the the Buddhist side of like the reincarnation is like you know you you're reincarnated over the course of ten thousand years in order to reach Nirvana. It it's certainly an intriguing thought point but and i think it's funny because on the other side you know jay's his thousands of years is like he feels like at that point he must have been driven totally insane and come back around again right and at that point he has like in jay's point of view which you know people listening to this have just heard it a couple episodes ago but he he liked to think that you know, Phil was at a point where he was no longer able to function in society after <laughs> living through this day over and over and knowing exactly how the day was going to go. He could no longer function not knowing that the day is going to repeat and experiencing new things again. It just gets it too fantastical for me to think of it in terms of thousands, any kind of thousands. Yeah. Any, when it... It, it, I mean, the whole film is a high concept gimmick and it's a, it's a fun one, but when you get into, I don't know, it's, it's, it's part of the appeal for a lot of people, I imagine, is the whole philosophical element of it. I just don't feel like that was ever the intention of the creators. It was more, okay, this guy's stuck in the day and here are these wacky things we can subject him to. And it's growing towards an end point based on his uh, spiritual and emotional growth, but just it, it's all fan service or, or, or fan theories that are, are fueling this thousands of year Buddhist stuff. And if I had any kind of inkling that that's what the creators were looking for, I might be more on board with it, but I don't. You know, as I've been going through like the days, <clears throat> if, you know, I think the first five days are the first five days in sequence. Yeah, for sure. And then the first big jump is that armor card robbery. And I think that that, like on my spreadsheet, I gave that 150 days. And that's not just for the armored car robbery, because I think that's, you know, that's about 100 100 days just to get to the idea of the armored car robbery. And then like 50 days for the actual planning. Yeah, Yeah, I can get on board with that. And then... I generally give each day, you know, anywhere between five to 10 days in fill time. And then the next big jump, I think, or not a huge jump, but whenever he starts getting slapped, um, whenever the dates 
the reader date goes south. And I have that at about 215 days. So that's... You know, I, I, no- I noticed that the, the max that you go up to is barely over a year. So what I guess begs the, the question of what is your perspective on the total number of days? No, you didn't. Ha- you don't have it filled in for the last. Yeah, because I, I think because as I was doing this and staying with Phil, I feel like you know the and I think most people who have tried to examine this and look at it through statistics and you know a lot of people and i've mentioned this before several times a lot of people go back to the ten thousand hours concept sure. which i i i think is has basically been debunked but the whole you know ten thousand hours of dedicated learning is what you need to become a master of just about anything and right. in this movie phil is becomes a master of piano playing and ice sculpting and you know potentially a couple other learn in French, although I I don't think he really became a master at French because we don't really see him speaking French. We just see him saying one line in French, which was actually a song lyric and not from a French poem. But all of his self improvement happens in the the movie in the last like yeah, four or five started, days. Right? Yeah. Like it basically, um, he starts, we see by my count, 35 days, well, 35 groundhog days. And then we see the day before and the day after. You know, what, what do you mean he, all of his uh, self-improvement stuff happens in the last four or five days? Well, four because... or five days that we see in the movie, because um, the, the day, okay. day 28 is whenever he has the I'm a God speech and has the like the science experiment, or I, I like to think of it as like the friendship date with Rita, with him reading poetry. and Where he starts to get overeager towards the end of it, which then spirals to like his second depression. No, th- this is whenever he, he's reading poetry to her and she falls, falls asleep with him. And that's whenever he decides to become better. And that's at day 28 out of 35 days so that's just six days that the audience sees before the end which Mm. is pretty pretty close to the end we don't really get to see that much and then you know day 29 is a piano lesson day 30 is a piano lesson 31 is that's all we see of the piano lessons yeah, there's three piano, three days of piano lessons, and then there's two days of the old man, um, and then the next, the very next day is the perfect day. Well, I guess that's where I would have some point of contention with your sheet. So you've got <laughs> day 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 shown in the film twenty eight as at three hundred and sixty five actual days to this point and the next day mm-hmm. of each you have is the first piano lesson and the next day of each you have is lesson number two so you're saying that whatever he's shown as having learned on lesson two he learned in one day yeah because the lesson two is just him still very badly playing the scales and the, at the end of the, the first piano lesson you see him 
start, you can hear him starting to play the scales and the, it sounds very similar. So I, I feel like the second day and him badly playing scales and the piano teacher wincing that well, could let me, very conceivably let, be his second lesson. Let me put it to you this way then. If you don't buy into the whole 10,000 hours thing, how long do you think it would take him to go from zero piano ability to the amount shown at the end of the film? Well, I mean, I I did talk quite a bit to to David Brooke a few episodes ago, and he he does actually know how to play the piano. Like he's not exactly a master piano player, but you know, he's he can play pretty well. He he can mm-hmm. read sheet music. And he thought that it would take several years to become the piano player that we see on his last day because he's it's not just learning to play one piece sure it's learning to play three different as well yeah he's playing three different pieces with no sheet music and he's transitioning from classical to another style of music and he's not even looking at one point you know he's playing he's playing that well I mean, I'm I'm not as good a p- piano player as David Brooke, but I did take piano lessons as a child. And uh, the, the only uh, counter to that I would offer was, I don't, how many hours a day is he spending learning this, right? Is he, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing for, you know, the child to uh, take one hour lesson a day and then one hour practice maybe a day. He could be spending eight hours a day practicing piano for all we know. Yeah. Um, and and I did hear from you know another guest, which I I didn't actually see it myself, but um, Robert Robert Black, who spent a year watching Groundhog Day every single day and blogging about it, and then the next year he watched it once a month for another year, <laughs> and he says that you there is a point where you can't actually see that there is a piano at the Cherry Street Inn where Bill Murray is staying, so. He does have a piano at the end. Got access. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, you got to attribute at least a year to it, I think, bare minimum um, Mm -hmm. to to go from zero to hero at at the level he does. I mean, could you fake a few songs perhaps, but that's the whole point of it. He's not faking anything. He, he, you know, he's genuinely learned all these things and. and Yeah. He's doing this to improve himself. himself. Right. Right. I don't think he needed as much time to learn how to change a tire, but because <laughs> I, I like I like the reading of this movie that it's more about Phil Connors improving himself. It's and then he ends up getting Rita as a side effect. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. You know, he's he's open to new experiences and people that he might have considered before and now he he sees the beauty in her he 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 i wouldn't say the beauty but he sees the 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 charm of ned and of, <laughs> I, I can't remember chris elliott's character's name at the moment larry but, you know you know he he's he's just not a dick he learns how to yeah. uh, appreciate life for all that it brings right yeah exactly and to be selfless And then, you know, the other thing that I've been keeping track of is I like to call them like the the milestones of the movie, the basically the the points that we keep seeing and in order for the film to show the audience the repetition. And I I have, you know, seven different 
milestones as I like to call them. And, you know, the first one and the most obvious one is I got you babe with the clock radio. And I have that one is that that's the one that you, that you're shown the most. We see that 10 times through the course of the, the movie. And that's counting the time on, um, February 3rd, which is not technically part of the repetition. It's like the fake out. Mm-hmm. It feels like you see it more, but I, I trust your math. <laughs> I, there, I, I didn't go back and double check, but um, I think that there's at least one time where you see the clock, but you don't hear the music. And I believe this is when you actually, I counted just whenever you hear the music with the clock. Okay. So I think you do see the clock one or two more times without the music. And then the other most um, frequent thing we see is Gobbler's Knob and the Groundhog Report. And we see that nine times. And you see that a lot of different ways. Although I'm, I actually noticed uh, again this time that it was something that caught me the day after his... Heidi two viewing where he's dressed as Bronco. I noticed that, you know, he says, does Phil feel lucky? And I thought that was like a callback to him wearing like a Clint Eastwood outfit. But I, I did notice that he actually says, does Phil feel lucky in the very first Groundhog Day report? Oh yeah. So I, 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 I really appreciate your, your top seven here. Um, it's taken me back and I'm, I'm at the same time I'm, I'm i'm questioning but also trusting i'm like really they only showed it this okay well i guess that's right yeah and then the <laughs> next uh the next one is the homeless man which you know we see him seven different times in, including the two times where he dies at the end of the day which you know most people feel like phil tried to save the man a lot more than just twice of course yes because it's it's one of those things, and, and I've talked about this uh, too, but the fact that this film is very efficient and it uses a lot of shorthand in order to make the viewer's mind fill in the gaps a lot more. So yeah. in your mind, you're like every day that they hint at, your mind <laughs> fills in a lot more of those, a lot more of Phil's day that we don't actually see. Well, this is this is why people came up with the whole ten thousand years, right? Because every we, we might only see the homeless man dying a couple times, but it's you, you take your context clues that he's tried to save him dozens, if not hundreds, of times, right? Yeah, and it's only at a certain point where he realizes that this is not something he can do; that some things are just going to happen, whether he likes it or not, right? Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, I think it's it, it does that with a lot of things. Um, I mean, we, we 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 talked about the piano lessons. You've got to take context clues. That's a big thing about this movie, right? Is mm-hmm. it's not just what we're shown. It's reading between the lines about the numerous other things. Like he might have thrown himself off a building and electrocuted himself, but how many other ways did he try to kill himself? Right? Yeah, I mean, in, in his list, he, he lists like. Uh, six or seven different things and only two of them were ones that we actually saw on screen sure and all the other ones were completely different ways and like how, how many times do we actually see him try to escape punxatani i feel like it's only once 
that's actually yeah, shown it's on just screen. A, it's just the first time. But you and, feel like that's something he might have tried. Yeah. I mean, and, maybe not dozens of times, but at least more than once. He might have gone a different route. Maybe that'll get him out. Maybe the weather the weather's better there. But yeah, and and you know, another thing that I've asked every person on here is for them to come up with a, a scene that they would like to see that Phil had to have had. And especially in the first half, a lot of people did come up with that. They're like, you know, I want to see Phil trying, like trying to go out of Punks at Donnie. Like I want to see the escape Punks at Donnie. Walk? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> These are again, things that I don't think the creators intended for uh, the audience to put under such scrutiny for years upon years. I mean, it was in, in an earlier script that, that, you know, trying to escape Punxsutawney montage was in there of him really? going a different direction every day. Nice. And then they, they cut it down to just seeing it once because that's, again, that, that goes back to, you know, your mind fills in the blanks. And you get a three hour, four hour film if you show all these things, right? Yeah, you show the audience. Okay, he tried this, and he says he can't get out, so that's enough. Yeah, and and I think the other thing, you know, going back to the the milestones, you know, Ned Ryerson only shows up six times throughout the course of the movie, and one of those times is him just getting cold cocked. <laughs> so he really only gets five he's, scenes. He's in got the a movie. memorable presence, and uh, yeah. he's got good screen time in at least two or three of those, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know the the tip top cafe, which I I think it's that is a really great meeting point for a lot of the extraneous characters that you don't realize they make a presence, but they are pretty much all present in the background of all the tip top cafe scenes. You know, you got um, Gus and Ralph, the the two drunks. You got Nancy's there. You got Doris, the waitress. They're all in the cafe and um, uh, Fred and Debbie, uh, Michael Shannon. So help me out. Who was, who was, which of these podcast episodes was covering the last day, the, the, the successful day? Um, that was uh, Jake Lewitt. Okay. And is uh, the day 35. K shown on that day? What? No, it, it's Tip-top? actually not. The whole, uh, the whole thing with Michael Shannon, that's not there? No, that, that's at the uh, the hotel. That's at the banquet. I mean, I know we see them there, but we see them at the Tip Up Cafe earlier. And I just can't remember the context of that. I yeah, I, I that's, on the, I, well. that's on the I'm a God day is whenever okay. you see them. Like whenever they're introduced. Okay. We only see them twice, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... Um, it's possible to see them in the background shot a couple sure. times. Like they're there, but they only, they only have speaking roles in the I'm a God day and the perfect day. Gotcha. Okay. And then I think the other, um, other notable ones are, are both in the, um, yeah. in the cherry street M the, the, the guy at the top of the stairs who we never know his name. We only. This guy uh, from Herman's head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely always, remembered him from Herman's Ed. That's always what I think of it when I see that guy. Uh, yeah, the, Phil just refers to him as pork chop whenever he gets angry on the second day. And then Miss Lancaster. And we only see him four times. We see him the first three days. And then 
you see him right after Phil's improving where he kisses him on both cheeks and then <laughs> starts reciting poetry to him. And then Miss Lancaster asking if he slept well. And that one, the last time we see her is whenever he grabs the toaster and dunks him, dunks it into the bathtub, which I'm, I'm actually surprised that Miss Lancaster doesn't actually show up after that. I get the feeling she doesn't leave the bed and breakfast very often. Yeah, that's that's probably true. But that's, yeah, we could, we could they could have shown her last day or, or the February third, what have you. You know, going back to I guess the the other statistics. You know, I mentioned the the shortest and the longest that everybody said, and I, I would say the average is between like you know, three to ten years is what most people said that Phil was stuck in the the time loop. And as far as like the running total. Uh, most people were pretty pretty well in line with mine because I, I think that up until he starts to better himself, it it feels like just months to up to about a year until he starts you know taking the time to actually learn things and, and do things to better himself with the studying and the piano lesson and the ice sculpting. So did you give me your answer? Is that is that your how, uh, what's your total tally? Well, I, my, well, I, I think he hits a year right, um, right about whenever he's trying to better himself with the I, the end of the I'm a God day is right at a year. And I think that he spends, I would say, I, I like, I like one of the interviews and, and I haven't gone to, to re, re look it up again. But with either the writer or the director, they they said that he felt like he spent a lifetime in Punxsutawney. And, and I like that, that it took him basically one entire lifetime of February 2nd to make himself a better person. And so he can restart the rest of his actual lifetime. So I, I would say like, you know, anywhere between 50 to 60 years, like an you know, adult lifetime. Yeah. I could get on board with that. I, li- I like that interpretation of it. It's it, it's a long time for sure, but it's not uh, into the fantastical like I was mentioning it. But uh, yeah, certainly enough time to master numerous trades and learn many life lessons and synchronize days and kill yourself numerous ways. Because like, I wonder how many how many days did he kill himself before noon that we don't even see? That he's like, no, I'm just not even doing this. But then maybe he gives on, up on that quickly because he realizes the pointlessness of it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. But long story short, yeah, I agree. Uh, a lifetime sounds like a, a very good place to settle on. Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's pretty much, I think we pretty much covered my spreadsheets. Uh, you know, I am, I'm not going to go through like every single number I, I have on here. There's, there's a bit more to it, but I, need I, I more think statistics. I, <laughs> I think I covered the, you know, the big chunks. Thanks for coming on. I know you don't really have anything to promote. And uh, I, I know I mentioned it on the pre on the last episode, but I, for the next, the second season of this show, I am going to be covering the twilight zone. I've got like three or four episodes where they do have time loops. I believe they're not there's not a lot of repetition, so I'm going to be doing several episodes. I, I still haven't watched any of them myself yet, so I don't know the exact number of repetitions 
just like as we're recording this. Like you've never seen them or you just haven't seen them recently? I've, I don't remember ever seeing the time loops in the, like the classic Twilight Zone. I did watch the, there is one that's like kind of time loop adjacent. Well, I have to ask, given what you just said, and given the plethora of movies and probably TV shows at this point that have, have, have embraced time loops, why, what made you choose Twilight Zone? Because that, as far as I can tell, that's the first, inter- okay. the first instance sense. of a time loop presented in TV or film. Okay. It's possible that one happened before that, but not that I've been able to find yet in my, you know, 20 minutes of internet research that I've spent on this so far. Were there any uh, notable films that came out before Groundhog Day that featured time loops? Um, the, not so much notable. Groundhog Day was the first major one released in the U.S. There was a short film that also became a feature-length film, I, I believe a TV film, um, and it became a feature-length film on TV in 93 as well, but it was a yeah. short film a couple of years before that. It was like, um, I think, 1259, and they, they actually tried to sue Groundhog Day because they thought that it was, they had copied it, their idea. But also a few years before that, there was um, an anime that has, you know, some elements of a time loop. I believe the the girl who leapt through time. Um, it's it's not actually called that, but that's I think that's the most popular version because they remade it as an anime a few years ago, and it, it was a relatively popular anime. So some people might have heard that version, but it was like under a different title, and it was live action and only in Japan. Right. Okay. Interesting stuff. Well, there's certainly a lot that came after, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so much stuff. And and I've I've still like I've seen a lot, but there's still a ton that I haven't seen. And this this isn't so much like uh, what I've done with the superhero movies where I, you know, whenever I started my superhero movie site, I watched a hundred movies that first year and this one, I'm, I'm taking my Watching time. one movie a hundred times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so when this, you get to Palm Springs, let me know. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people have mentioned that. As, so I, I'm definitely going to be getting to that sooner rather than later. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't think this was going to be a, as long as an episode as an episode as it ended up being but <laughs> that's that's happened a, quite a few different times and i am perfectly okay with that likewise but you know thanks for for joining me and uh you know i i don't have i know you don't really have anything to promote but do you have any parting words uh you off to see the groundhog later <laughs> yeah and uh you know, as as always, you know, I am Bubbleweed, and you can find me at flightstightsandmovienights.com. You can find this show, It's Time to Rewind, on anchor.fm, and anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. Uh, be sure to, to subscribe, so that way, you whenever the second season does start up, uh, you will be notified of new episodes, and you can start listening to them 
as they come out. I will also be having a uh, an episode of FilmWise, which is my older podcast where I discuss two films, one film that's brand new to me and the other film, which is brand new to my guest and is also a superhero or comic book film since, you know, I'm deep into superhero and comic book films. And uh, that episode will be with Justin Goff from the Rambling Ramblers podcast. And we will be covering The Mist, which I've never seen before, and Spawn, which he's never seen before. So that's that should be an interesting uh, episode. And, you know, I'll, I'll have it on my a new FilmWise feed, which is also on Anchor.fm. If you search FilmWise, and that's film, W-H-Y-S, you can find that feed, but I'll also be sharing it on this feed as a bonus episode as well. So it's been a lot of fun doing this, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening. And, you know, it's, it's been an entire season, and I've said this several times, I still don't have an, a way to end this show, but... You know, it's been a lot of fun and one of these days I'm going to figure that out. So until next time. Who else could go for some flapjacks? (laughs) I'm a god. Well, what if there is no tomorrow? I'm a god. There wasn't one today. (laughs) 